I, Jim Johnson, am in the studio again uh, with Ryan Vincent in our adult ministries, Justin Ebert uh, overseeing our youth ministries. We are excited about uh, bringing to you part two of a podcast designed to help us understand um, uh, not the enemy within, uh, but the opposition uh, that is trying to undo um, the work that God is doing in us and through us. And so we're dealing with the issue of foes. Um, and looking at some specific things that we are called to do from the Bible when we are dealing with these um, this, this opposition. Hope this podcast will be an encouragement and a blessing to you. Foe-ship. Not F-A-U-X-ship. The art of being artificial, but foe-ship. F-O-E-ship. Uh, the opposite, I guess, of friendship. And this is our second of a two-parter on the issue of our enemies. Last time we discussed um, that our enemies are not flesh and blood, but we are arguing or fighting against the principalities and powers that Paul describes. Uh, But it does take on human form to try to pretend that there's no human embodiment of that which is opposing God. Um, and therefore, at some level, opposing uh, our, our ministry, our, the, the, the purpose of um, what Christ is doing in us. So there is that kind of an opposition. So then what should our response be? Um, and we're going to kind of break this down on, on our friendship podcast. We basically uh, were kind of re-discussing uh, some stuff that Michael DeFazio shared with us at our staff retreat. Uh, and, and now we're going to be looking at something that Mike Ackerman, another professor at Ozark, really kind of helped us see. Um, and I, I just want us to kind of play that out for our audience. So which one of you wants to begin with one of the recommendations that Mike gave us? I mean, the first thing that he said is the, the thing you have to do first is be right yourself. Like it's hard for you to fight well if you're not spiritually, you have a, a strong spiritual vitality, a strong spiritual maturity. If you're not, you know, actively growing in your walk with the Lord in your Christ-likeness, it's going to be hard for you to stand against the true foes of this life. And so I, I, that stuck with me a lot. You know, he, I remember him leading up to this conversation saying, hey, this is not what I expected, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was expecting more of this, like, really strong locker room speech from yeah. the Lord. Yeah. As I read yeah. through the scriptures, it was more like, hey, prepare to suffer well. Yeah. And the way you prepare to suffer well are these few things, so... I mean, he listed a few of them, Ryan. What are yeah, you? like that actually, what he's describing is almost like a precursor. It's yeah. the, it's, it's the, it's not the, the it's, methods, it's the physical fitness needed. Yeah. Like we need to make time. sure that we're, we're, we're in the game, that we're doing what we need to be able to do. You know, going back to what really kind of hit me from, uh, we're right, right now we are in the middle of a, a series on the seven churches to Asia Minor, letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Um, Ephesus was doing the hard work of recognizing and not tolerating evil. So there's that, and that is, that's a, that's a hard work issue. So we need to be able to, to kind of recognize like that the enemy, who the enemy is, what the enemy is about, and then how to battle them. And a lot of that has to do with our own spiritual preparation, that we could discern the difference between false teaching and correct teaching, that we could discern to the best of our ability um, by the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit um, whether or not we are dealing with sheep or whether or not we are dealing with dogs or whether or not we are dealing with wolves. So that becomes a big piece. Yeah. So what what else, Ryan? The uh, the first two things that he, he listed, he I, 
I can't remember. I was looking at my notes from his talk, and I, d- I didn't write down this reference. I assumed that he was pulling from Acts 6, um, where the church run into an issue. Where, oh, yep. where, um, yep. it was Acts 6. Um, the widows are not being taken care of, and the the, the, the Gentile, or the Greek, the Hellenized widows are not being taken care of in the daily distribution. And so the church kind of runs into one of its first... Um, organizational issues yep. to deal with. And so they, they elect seven men to take care of these things and to make sure that uh, the, the people are cared for. And then in Acts chapter 6, verse um, 3, Peter, this is, this is kind of uh, Peter's response. Um, it says, Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty, and they do. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And it's in this proposal, please the whole company. And and so that's one of the things, the, the, those those two things are, are what Mike suggested that maybe we, we uh, instead of being, you know, taking the, the most recent uh, apologetic books and internalizing them and becoming really good debaters or really good, um, um, you know, campus evangelist he says one of the things that we have to do is we have to to pray and to preach yeah. to, and so he he says don't neglect your your own spiritual formation and life of prayer and don't neglect just the proclamation of the truths of scripture mm-hmm. and he said that's not he like like justin mentioned he was really wanting to kind of have this you know william wallace pep talk and it's just like pray and preach the truth yeah, two important things, maybe some of the most important things to dealing with, with foes. Well, and one of the most kind of foundational things, right? So even even before we start dealing with ourselves, to recognize that if the battle really is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of this dark age, if that's really what's actually happening, then we need to uh, engage them spiritually, mm-hmm. which means God's the one who's engaging them. So prayer <clears throat> becomes, in essence, that primary function um, to 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 properly understand, discern, and to battle, so to speak. So prayer becomes essential to that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel... You don't know if prayer is essential to this? <clears throat> no, I'm just thinking back on what Ryan said on Act 6. I do, I believe that prayer is essential. Okay. And something probably most of us don't take as essential as it probably yeah. is. Yep. Um, with Acts 6, and you have these people who are in need, and even, you know, the apostles are not saying they're not in need, ignore them. It's saying, no, let's address them. We're set apart for a different purpose at some level. Yep. I wonder how much of that can become like a justification. You know, some people use it as like, ah, I'm not going to be the chair setter upper guy uh, at church because I'm a, I'm a teacher, preacher, I'm a prayer. You're probably all of us are challenged by that in some way. It's, you love to talk about to create a healthy staff culture is this humble idea of doing whatever, whenever, and we're not going to be people just kind of secluded to our offices. That's kind of the people we're, we're being sure. But at the same time, um, we, we probably tend toward, at least I do. I don't want to speak for anyone else. I tend toward, I, I love the word. I love studying the word, preaching the word and communicating that with people. I don't do the prayer thing as much. I mean, he gave that story of the, pastor in Korea mm-hmm. who just spent like five hours a day praying yeah, and yeah. that's how he built the church in yeah, Korea. Yeah. That was a really effective model to just pray. The Daniel 10 passage we've talked about a lot. Um, 
I don't think like the apostles would say, therefore we ignore these other things, these tangible needs that people have. Obviously they agree like with these things need to be met. Let's engage the whole community to meet the needs of our community. Um, so in the spiritual realm, there, like you said, physical manifestations. I don't, I don't know how to like quantify some of that, like how the needs of people and the spiritual realm, like, like our job as leaders is to protect, to guard our life, yeah. our doctrine and the, the community. But we have these needs that are needing to be met. We have to lead in that and yet protect ourselves for these other things. Like, how do you, how do you take act six well, in I, light of both the spiritual realm, but then also like leading a staff? One caveat. I don't think that Mike was saying that act six is a demonstration of what spiritual warfare looks like. I th- he used it as a bit of a springboard and then went into Paul's letters to talk about how he's constantly praying for the churches, praying for his disciples like Timothy and Titus. And he's, he's telling them what he's praying for. And he's telling that they would be able to endure and to withstand the enemy. And so I think Acts 6 was a little bit of just a, this gives me two categories to go and look at the rest of the way that the, the New Testament addresses foes. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think, I think what you're describing, Justin, is just a little bit off of what we're, you know, we're, we're dealing with the the enemy that exists, right. not not the enemy from within. We're not you know this isn't we're not trying to figure out okay so how do we truly sanctify ourselves and truly grow in Christ? So this is more right. of a matter of when you look at uh, the difficulties that are happening around us, what is our approach? What is the way that we engage them? And so therefore, drawing from Acts six, I think he's just taking the principle that uh, the warfare that we actually have it's it's not so much we're not we're not debating uh the the different functions within the community that right. would be another conversation we're trying to say okay so as we're engaging foes it seems like what the apostles recognized that the kind of the cornerstone of their ministry would be would be the ministry of the word and prayer right cuz he talked about like michael talked about your your goal is to outlast the enemy yeah. And the way you outlast the enemy is through guarding your life, guarding your doctrine. Yeah. And so the way you guard your life and your doctrine primarily is through prayer and the word. Like yeah. that's how you, you do grow and you do become sanctified. That's actually how you know you can suffer well if yeah. you're if you're right in these things. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's the element of it. It's how do we make sure that we are um and it's interesting because it's it's how do we consider prayer to be uh a, a battle technique. How do we how do we really kind of recognize the value of prayer um, and the different ways that prayer prepares us mm-hmm. to deal with our enemy? That's probably the hardest version of prayer for me. Yeah, I think of I mean I mean probably I, I guess most people correct me if I'm wrong in your thoughts experiences in ministry most people prayer is a make the request to God yeah. and those requests yeah. center around physical needs. Yeah. You know, it, and there's where Act Six maybe comes in a little bit, a re- healing, health. Uh, the the needs being met for food, shelter, those kinds of things, and gratitude even for some of that. But like to see prayer as a form of battle is yeah. not familiar to me. Yeah. yeah, but I wonder if that's the case because you are naturally like, um, you have this natural resolve in you. I wonder how many people need to be praying for the endurance to 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 go through. Um, whatever it is that a foe is imposing on you. Whereas you're kind of like, you have that natural resolve. Um, and then I wonder how much I, I should be spending more time praying against the successes of foes 
a little bit of an yeah. imprecatory prayer yep. to just say, God, I pray that you would foil everything that they're trying to do and pray against sure. that kind of anti-gospel ministry. And, you know, and maybe the difficulty of, of talking about how prayer factors into this is because we're talking somewhat broadly about what a foe is. You know, if I had like, if you gave me a test case, I could probably talk about how we made it. Right? Well, and so let's use the David. Uh, and again, I'm not saying this is what the text is saying or proving <laughs> or any of that stuff. But if we just take the story of David and Goliath, David's got one of two options. David can either just go, I'm going to figure out how to be a marksman. I'm going to figure out how to use a slingshot. I'm going to figure out how to be a good slingshot guy. And so mm-hmm. I'm just going to go back and I'm going to be the best slingshot guy that there possibly is. And I'm going to just, by my own strength and by my own abilities, I'm going to be a big slingshot guy. The other extreme for that is, no, I'm never going to practice. I'm never going to do anything. I'm just going to kind of wing it. And I'm just going to pray for the, the, the for God to guide the rock. And I, I think, you know, if you were to say, like, what, what, what do I default to? When it comes to dealing with the struggles, um, and again, mm. we're, we're, we were really hesitant last week to even, to, or last uh, the part one, to even to use the concept of enemies, right? It's, mm. it's hard to even label them that way. But I kind of default to, I'm going to learn to become smarter. I'm going to learn technique. to have an, yeah, I'm mm. learning technique. Mm. Instead of submitting to what it seems like is the great example of the apostles, which is recognized like I can't always outwit my foes. I always can't outsmart or outmaneuver mm-hmm. my enemy. And so in the end, I'm going to ask for God to go before me. Yeah. So again, I mean, the, if, the, if the two extremes are, you know, never, never rehearsing, never practicing, never, never developing our skills, then I, th- I don't think that's what we're talking about. But if you ask me where I fall, most of the time when I'm thinking about adversarial conversations or dealing with false teaching or false teachers, um, the, 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 the prayer is a, is a tag along mm. as opposed to a foundational thing that I'm asking God to fight my battle for me. Yeah. It's like, no, God, I'm going to fight this battle, and if you could help me out, that would be great. And I think that's what Mike was really getting at was that to recognize the fundamental and the ongoing uh, prayer dynamic yes. that has to do with enemies. And I think probably the other the other major problem that we have is that we always think in terms of victory and we may not see the victory over many of our yeah. uh, adversaries in our in our lifetime. I mean if we're going to be honest, very few people actually see the demise. They usually mm-hmm. um, the because a lot of the struggles that we have aren't not just against individuals but against cultural movements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I expect to die and those cultural movements will kind of continue on and the Lord will be victorious. It reminds me of our recent conversations around naturalism. You know, on Wednesdays, we're talking about how there's these different ideologies in which we redefine humanity. And one of those ideologies is naturalism, that humans are only natural. And it's what A.J. Conyers talks about, the loss of the transcendent, the eclipse of heaven. And we talked about at the end of that how these there are these subtle subtle ways where we who are spiritual people who believe in spiritual things have adopted naturalistic ideologies, yeah. and one of those ways I think is specifically in the spiritual realm and in prayer. One of the reasons I pray for physical things mostly is because I've adopted subtly and subconsciously natural things and yeah. natural naturalistic ways of thinking instead of considering the amazing 
realm in which I don't, I can't fully understand. And yet the Bible continues to lift the veil on over and over and, yeah. and try to give things over to that and try to adopt that into my regular thinking and prayer life. I, I think that is a discipline that can only probably properly be done when it's attached to the word. Mm-hmm. And so you can't have prayer or the word really. Those things have to be intertwined. I truly believe that like the spirit working in and through prayer and in and through the word, like we have a better understanding of these things and are able to pray better when we're actually in the word. Like mm-hmm. those, those things can't be separated. You can't endure well or well, fight and, well. And prayer it. pushes the, the proclamation of the word, you know, thinking about like, as I'm getting ready to preach this week, um, that praying that I would, I would use the appropriate words and phrases, not that, you know, it's not Ryan up there, but it is, it is the spirit speaking through and praying too that, people will have ears to hear what in this case is going to be um i wouldn't say controversial but distasteful to the modern ear um about how god is not quite as interested in tolerance as we are um like i i got to pray for people to like first corinthians one i got to pray that like these are spiritual truths and i need spiritual people to put on their spiritual ears in their spiritual minds and hearts to hear these things. And so I wonder if that's how prayer and proclamation even continue to dovetail is I pray not only for endurance, but I pray that, um, that as the truth is proclaimed, that it's embraced, you know, sure. Instead of where I, in that realm, I can default to technique. I can just think I know how to, to craft a, a thought or a message or a lesson in a way that's convincing and how much of that am I leaning on technique rather than prayer? Mm-hmm. So, so specifically, you know, I think about I think about the command that Jesus even gives us: love your enemies, um, and and then it says, and pray for those who persecute you. This is uh, Matthew five verse forty four. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So that's kind of interesting. So in order for you to be children of your Father in heaven, pray for those who are persecuting you. So what are we praying for against our foes? <laughs> that's really like, good. What, 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 what are we praying for? Probably some people to be released from, I mean, another text that Jesus says, uh, when he's sowing seed, sometimes the devil comes and snatches, yeah, snatches it the away. seed. What does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean that I can preach to this person who is a foe, Maybe not because they have a sword to my throat, but because they're uh, not within the family of God. Um, what does it mean that the devil can come and snatch that seed away from them? Right. I don't know, but I do know that I should pray against that. Yeah, <laughs> I need to pray against the devil and his allies having the ability to, however this works, to block the thoughts or remove the thoughts or build barriers to the church and the message of the church. Yeah. Like I, I, again, this is where we don't fully understand it. We believe it. Yeah. And we're going to pray therefore against the devil being able to take away the gospel message from the hearts and minds of yeah. the unbeliever. There is, but this is where it gets really fun. There is the, I think proper approach to pray against the foes. But then I think of Stephen, father, forgive them. Yeah, like praying for his for his persecutors in a very different way. Yeah, and I, and and I'm not willing to, to let go of either one. 
right? I need it's yeah, almost see, it's always a both end. Going back to even what you were saying earlier, Justin, I think sometimes where we get into trouble is we create a bit of a false dichotomy. Do mm-hmm. I pray or do I care for people? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not do I pray or do I provide the needs for? It's like no, I pray and I provide the needs for. And so sometimes I think we uh, we we miss the point by trying to create. Uh, a separation that just doesn't exist. And that's what you're saying here on the idea of, of, of prayer in terms of what we're doing. So we're actually praying for multiple things at the same time. Well, uh, Bonhoeffer talks, we've talked about this a lot. Bonhoeffer talks about how the prayers of the Psalms can be made true through the words of Jesus himself. Yeah, yeah. And the impre- there are a lot of very specific prayers in the Psalms of people wanting their enemies to find the justice at the hand of God. Yeah, yeah. And that's an okay thing to pray. You know, I, obviously it's biblical idea that God has enemies. That's By the way, mean, you, you were one of, it was mean, but... But that helps us remember, like, you were an enemy also, yeah, Romans 5, yeah, yeah. and he forgave you. So you're ultimately hoping that they yeah. are redeemed, that they are restored to God, uh, just as you have been and you treat people as such. But whatever God needs to do to get them to bend their knee to God, I pray this very specifically for some people that we all know and love, that God would mess up their life yeah, and yeah. so that they would be forced to their knees now instead of when they die and don't have a backup plan. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. That's why I think we are to ask for the Lord to provide vengeance, mm-hmm. and it removes that from uh, us trying to enact it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So in the end, it is a showing the kindness of God, the persistence of God, the patience of God, um, and so remaining in that sense gracious and kind and forgiving always available and yet always holding on to the truth it's interesting the things that we talked about in our friend podcast uh you know we talked about the idea of humility as one of those great traits that we should have within friendship i think it's just a great biblical uh admonition for all all believers in all relationships so there should be a tremendous amount of humility that drives us to pray uh for our enemies because we were once enemies of god as well and and because of his kindness to us, that we're, we're no longer that. So we, we, we haven't really unpacked yet. The ministry of the word is another big element of this whole thing, that one of the ways in which we battle and we, 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 we fight in this, in this war uh, against our enemies is with the ministry of the word. So what does that look like, Ryan? Well, it, it provides the terms for determining who is who. So um, uh, on occasion, when we, when we talk about, actually probably more frequently than on occasion, sadly, when we talk about foes, um, the people that come to mind are people that are in opposition to us for reasons that are not necessarily biblical. Hmm. They voted red and I voted blue or some or the other way around. Um, they, um, they, you know, I can think of all sorts of ways that we categorize people into um, – um, and I don't remember if we've ever discussed it on this podcast, but this this phrase is really helpful into repugnant cultural others. Yeah. And when we do that, we can we can trick ourselves into believing that because we are different in this sense um, and f- fill in the blank with whatever kind of difference you want. If that is not a, a biblical difference, if that is not a biblical definition for a foe, and yet I think of them as a foe, you can see how off I can get really yeah. quickly yeah. when now I'm praying against the the efforts of such and such political party or such and such family who, you know, their kid was mean to my kid. I'm like, okay, just can we yeah. use the Bible? Can we use, yeah. like, the core doctrines of the faith to determine what a foe actually is? 
because I don't think that I don't think it's good or useful to uh, to spend time engaging in spiritual warfare with a someone who is different than me for non-spiritual reasons. Well, so it's what you're describing there is is just kind of recognizing um, the differences that we might have that are in the opinion category in which there's a greater level of bearing with one another, um, not imposing your ideas or your will upon somebody else. And then where there clearly are, the lines have already been drawn by God and I need to, I need to yeah. stand here. I can't, I, I, I can't help it. I, I, I cannot be moved. Yeah. And, of and, and the Bible will even further divide that into subcategories. Like we have foes that are outside of the faith. And then we have, I mean, we look at the letters of the churches in Revelation. It seems like on occasion there are foes from within. Yeah. And the Bible just deals with those differently and, and prescribes different responses. You know, and one of the ways to, uh, I think maybe even to recognize um, that you, that there may be either a problem uh, and it could either be sometimes it's a, an issue of immaturity or a lack of discernment and then sometimes it might even be an enemy. Um, are there people that are trying to distract us from the ministry of the word? Mm-hmm. Um, is there a desire uh, to, 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 to call us uh, away from that particular thing. And I think it, it can be um, very innocent. It can be well-intended. Yeah. Um, or it can be uh, more sinister and and malicious. Yeah. Or it can actually even be us that get it wrong yeah. and feel like it's our job to kind of put out every fire. Has anybody felt over the last couple of years some pressure to use the pulpit to, yeah. to do things or to, to speak about things that, you know, where the pulpit... I, we believe is reserved for the proclamation of God's word yeah. instead to take up like social issues, yeah. which God's word addresses. Yeah. But that's where, that's a very subtle way that you can distract from the ministry of the word is to, to go to the a ministry of the cause. Yeah. And I, I feel that I feel right? a ton I, of pressure. Yeah. I feel a ton of pressure to try to address what I think is the most important thing. Um, and that's when all of a sudden it becomes a soapbox. It becomes a, a more of a bully pulpit. Yep. Um, and, and one of the things that we do here to try to make sure that we stay on task is we try to preach through bigger biblical themes and bigger biblical books because it, it keeps us from just addressing some of the, the most hot button type things. Um, and it, it, I think it, in a way it can really kind of keep us humble. But yet we still need to be careful uh, that we don't somehow uh, use that as a reason to avoid complicated issues or complicated right. subjects. Anything else, Justin, on the ministry of the word? What, is it, what does it look like? How do we battle with the word of God? Yeah, just a couple verses for you all to maybe write down and read through um, on your own time this week. Uh, Philippians 2 um, really verses 12 through 18, but it talks about the way we endure is by holding firm to the word of life. And then we know we can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. Like there's a connection to perseverance, the word and our future, um, glorification, the return of Jesus. Another text that, <clears throat> I mean, second Corinthians four through six really hits on the difficulties that yeah. we as Christians face in this life as we're given this ministry of reconciliation by God. Um, And Paul says this, um, we're not giving anyone an occasion for offense so that the ministry will not be blamed. What's the ministry we do? We have the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. We have the ministry of gospel proclamation. We have the ministry of doing our best to, by the will of God, having the kingdom of God begin to reign here in the now and the not yet. And he says all these things, this is how we do it. We do this by um, facing great endurance with by great afflictions, hardships, difficulties, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, times of hunger. And how? With purity, knowledge, patience, 
kindness, the Holy Spirit, by sincere love and by the word of truth, which is connected to the power of God and these weapons of righteousness. So, I mean, you even see in there the way we battle foes and the way we battle enemies, we, we battle these dark powers through the word this power that God has given us, this yeah. word of truth, which we're able to rest our hope and um, our, the foundation we have in Christ is through the word. And so we really can't face all the things of this life, whether it's from a foe or from just the sin and brokenness of life without the word that gives us who we are and what we're to do. Well, and you, you even have, uh, obviously this is one of the biggest, the biggest things that we see, uh, in that great text, right, we're talking about the principalities and powers. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times. This is uh, Ephesians 6, verses 17 and 18. So you have this, use the, use the Spirit, uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and then pray at all times in the Spirit uh, uh, with every prayer and request. Stay alert. So you actually have this concept of prayer and the ministry of the word kind of mm-hmm. to keep us centered and to keep mm-hmm. us focused, to keep us um, on mission, which I, I think is, is one of the things that the enemy does. Again, I don't know how intentional they're thinking through this, but can be that more of a distraction than, than necessarily just our defeat. Yeah. Uh, we, can, we can be sometimes just realigned or aligned wrongly, yep. misaligned, because you know, we, we've decided to chase a cause instead of actually making sure that we're staying focused on what's on what's most critical. So ministry of prayer, the ministry of the word, which by the way, uh, when, when, when I was challenged with those at the, at the retreat, I just kept thinking to myself, this sounds so defensive. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if that's true. I mean, because prayer could be very offensive and so could actually the ministry of the word. So we've got to be careful mm-hmm. just, just thinking about that. Um, uh, and, and then the last thing is is that kind of the this uh, I don't know if I want to call it like a foundational idea again, um, but just recognizing that one of the things that we just need to do is persevere. So if mm-hmm. we're going to have the three P's, pray, preach, and persevere. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the biggest thing. And and I loved how we were challenged that one of the best things that Christians do is they just hold on. Uh, yeah. That's what you were doing in the Philippians two text as you hold on to the Word of Life. Um, one of the ways in which we we win is by not quitting. Yeah, right. Which, and that's where there, Mike used this fun illustration where he talked about when he was younger, he loved this famous boxing video game. And he was just, I guess, incredible at it. And he's like, and it's not about, you know, getting through it unscathed. It's just which guy keeps getting up yeah, and is kind of still standing at the end. And that's kind of the picture of the church is that um, she is the only she is the oldest institution in the world. And she's the only one that's guaranteed to never go away. And it's like. So give, do you want to give the quote? The about, Peter Kreeft? Yeah, the Peter Kreeft quote. Peter Kreeft is a, is a Roman Catholic philosopher, um, teaches in the Boston area. And he's, uh, he's hilarious. He's very snarky, so you can understand why I'm drawn to him. <laughs> but to, to the question like about like, what do we do with like, the, the, the demise of Western civilization and like, our country just in such is embattled in all this turmoil? And he says... Um, Western civilization was never promised that the gates of hell would not overcome it. And he said, that was the church, mm-hmm. and she'll be fine. And, he, and it's just kind of – and he's, he's not one who hates Western civilization. He just said, that's not what we're fighting for. Yeah, yeah. We're not fighting to preserve our way of life. We are fighting to endure as the bride of Christ. Yeah. And, and that's going to be hard. We're going to have black eyes and bloody lips at the end. Mm-hmm. But 
he said, Jesus promised we'll still be the ones standing victorious. Yeah, that's, that's how you know you're kind of almost misaligned, is that uh, when we remember that our kingdom, the, the kingdom of God is not of this world, when we remember actually that um, the, the, the kingdom of God is going to triumph and is going to win, you actually literally look at the entire struggle in a different way, which then leads us to trust in the word of God and to rely on his power and his strength and his plan. That's why we pray to recognize like where the victory is going to come from. And then, um, you know, the Psalms have been just a big thing for me in this, mm-hmm. this entire year. Uh, it's interesting how many times the psalmist basically is just, I'm just going to hold on. That's all I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm just going to hold on to your word. I'm going to hold on to your promises. Um, and that is my goal. Yeah, it's like they describe their situation. And then um, this isn't necessarily the phrasing, but the, it's, the idea is this. A lot of Psalms end with, but even still, yeah, I will trust in you. Yeah. And, I, and and honestly, that's a that's a great technique to win. And the analogy, it's interesting because in our in our uh, in our staff retreat, Mike didn't use this as an example, but but I'm going to use it now. I find it fascinating with the great story of a wrestling match, right? Of the struggle that Jacob has with the angel, with with the representative of God. Uh, in the middle of that struggle, um, he just basically, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And he gets the name. Uh, I have over, or I have struggled with God and overcome. I've overcome, and I, I really kind of thought he didn't win. He just didn't let go. Lasted. He just lasted. Mm. And then I, the, the, the began. I had to think more of it. Like that is victory. Mm. That is victory. The victory that we see that is biblical is the victory that just does not let go of the promises. Which, which by the way, to not let go of the promises of God. Another word for that is faith. Yeah. Mm. Right. Yeah. That's what faith is. Well, when we were on, actually, before we heard any of these guys at the retreat uh, give their their talks to us, Jim and I were riding on our way up there, and we were talking about how it's just been a a long couple of years with uh, a a few individuals in in the Sunnybrook world who have just been, for lack of a better phrase, faux-ish. Yeah. And then um, they've kind of faded away at this point and and jim just observed isn't it strange how like as exhausting as it was along the way we just kind of held serve and outlasted them so you're the one that came up with the held serve, held idea. serve yeah that was a, that was a great i thought that was a, a kind of an interesting way to look at it you so just holding serve didn't win them but sent the ball back their direction and yeah if, you know that's where i i love mark scott's famous line about and he's talking specifically about the direction of the college but i think it applies here so this is a, a former professor i guess he is yeah former professor, professor emeritus at, at ozark christian college but he said in terms of protecting the the mission of, of the college he says to those who who want to move it or to shift it um, it would be better for you to leave than for us to change and uh with a with a heavy heavy dose of humility to recognize that the three of us the four of us have all the ability in the world to get it wrong um i do think it would be better for any of us to leave than for yeah. this church to change i'm i'm not holding the bible but i'm holding a different book as representative to not to change how we look at the authority of the biblical text over over this fellowship um whenever we get sideways with the scripture we are in, deep risk of becoming a foe against the bride of Christ. Yeah. And you can do that intentionally or you can just do it um, by replacing it with something that you consider to be bigger. I, I remember just the the constant challenge that we need to keep Christ center over any kind of cause. And so we're, we're not about causes. We're about Christ. 
And then through Christ, we then know how to even properly uh, address or approach um, struggles and difficulties, um, and even the kind of the idea of uh, of, uh, of a foe um, in terms of how that how that looks. Well, just, even think think oh, about ahead, yep. think about how the Bible talks about foes. Even just let's just now New Testament. Jesus says, "Pray for them." Jesus seems to be a friend at some level. Like yeah, he yeah. he will he's oh, willing yeah. to put himself in the presence of what Jesus seems to be able to do. That seems to be a model for us. Is he seems to like have a little bit of the open arm idea. Like anyone's welcome here, but but just know that like there are expectations with that to be part of this. Like you're, you're welcome, but you need to bend your will to my will. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's very willing to call people out. That's what we, we have seeming no ability to differentiate friend versus foe. It's too mean you hinted at it. It's too mean. So being able to recognize what is a friend, what is a foe and probably even the different versions of foes and properly treat them. I think you said something passive in passing here that I think is really important. Offensive versus defensive. Okay. I don't know if this is true. I believe it to be true right now until you convince me otherwise. The only offensive thing we do is put the cross before people. Everything else is defensive in the Christian life. Unless you're part of the community. And when you become part of the community, then I might go on the offensive with you to say you're in sin. You need to be trained and you need to do this. So I, I come to you, not just to, I do still put the cross before you, the gospel before you, but uh, I don't necessarily expect the non-Jesus follower to do non-Jesus things. I hold Jesus before that. That's the only offensive thing I do. Everything else, I am wearing it. Okay, that's what we always used to say in baseball. Instead of being the person that runs out of the way of the ball while you're in the batter's box, you stay in there and you get pegged by it. You wear it because that's good for the team. Jesus seems to say, you're the people who turn the other cheek. You're the people who suffer. You're the people who go through affliction and hardship because I did, and that's how we win. That is the upside-down kingdom. The So chew on that idea a little bit. Maybe we don't have time. But yeah. the other thing I want to think about, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong, Like, what do we lose when we don't? label people correctly in the friend versus foe world what if everyone's just a friend like what happens when we just say we're all we're just friends we're all just friends yeah i I think that hurts our witness am i wrong like it hurts the community yeah i I think i think you got to be careful i think just labeling people right and so these Mm -hmm. are these are kind of like bigger pictures because i can have friends that act like foes or foes that act like friends at times so you really got to be careful just kind of having it as a one-dimensional approach right mm-hmm. they're always a they're always a foe or they're always a friend it's a little more complicated than that just like as i was thinking about the offensive defensive things one of the problems is is that um in in most games a good uh, you've heard this statement right so one of the, the the best kind of offense is a good defense or the best defense is a good offense and so mm-hmm. i don't know how much in the in the spiritual struggle that we have i don't know if tr- if correcting a friend is that, if, is that offensive or defensive i mean the it, only, it could I'm, be either I, take, maybe this is too far but in ephesians 6 the one weapon is the sword, right? And what's the sword? It's the word of God. You know, yeah, but like, I don't know if I'm defending. Like, right. I don't know if you've taken a yeah, swipe exactly. at me and I'm exactly. using my sword to defend. It's I mean, taking so the illustration too far. Yeah, so, yeah. So the analogy, I think, at some level begins to break down. But I, I do think it's, a, it's, a, it's appropriate to at least, uh, at some level, uh, have clean categories that, that we can understand it. Because if not, if, if everyone is just a friend, um, for example, imagine that you tell your children, everyone that you would ever meet is a friend. And so there's no there's no dangerous people in the world. Like you would never say that to your kids because that just puts them at jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tell your kid that everybody's an enemy. Like imagine what that does. 
You should be afraid of everyone. You can't trust anyone, not even mommy. Like, yeah, that, that, that just terrifies a child. Mm-hmm. So it's it's literally kind of recognizing um, what happens. Because if not, if you just have one brush that you paint everybody, one way or the other, then it, it becomes, there's, I, like I like to point out, there's no discernment necessary. Right. There's no discernment. If everybody's a friend, then I don't need discernment. And if everybody's an enemy, I don't need discernment. Um, or if the friend is always acting like a friend, then I don't need discernment. And if the enemy is always acting like an enemy, then I don't need discernment. So the complexities of this, which is maybe one of the reasons why we need to make sure that we know the word and that we are focused on prayer and that we are committed to hold on, mm-hmm. is because of the complexities of friends and foes. Yeah. I wonder if Paul would have considered Mark uh, a foe early on in his ministry when later on he clearly loves this man yeah. and he's a, he's a friend. I need him. He's essential to my ministry. Well, there's a huge sharp disagreement that, that Paul has with Barnabas over John Mark yeah. to the point where they, like they, they separate. It seems to be a pretty serious thing. I don't know if, if, if Paul's labeling him as a foe, but definitely there's something that's actually happening, a, mm-hmm. a complexity there um, where Paul then takes on Silas and Barnabas takes on John Mark and they go in two different directions. So I think it's important that we that that we see that. Um hope this podcast has been helpful for you. I hope that uh we haven't answered every question for I don't think that's possible for us to do, but that we've been at least giving some categories and some principles to help us know how we can be faithfully loving and caring for one another and also discerning about the complexities of the the times in which we live that we remember to uh, to treat everyone with the same grace that we have been treated, that with great humility we recognize that except for the grace of God, uh, we all were enemies and, uh, and objects of his wrath. But because of God's great love for us, um, through faith in Jesus, uh, his great mercy has been multiplied to us. Um, so I hope that this podcast uh, and the ones that related to it on the idea of friendship um, are at least provoked some thoughts and have uh, helped you understand what it means to be a Christian in today's world.